Hey, what's going on, my friends? How we doing out there? I hope you guys are holding up. I know it's been a rough week. And I'm sure you can already guess what I'm going to talk about. So I'm not going to preface this conversation with anything. We're just going to jump right in. This one is called Supremacy. A white supremacist in uniform. All his weight on one knee. I counted 16 times. Please, I can't breathe. Like a fish out of water, this horror I can't unsee. Can you not imagine? What if this were me? My face to the asphalt, my last breath of plead. But I'm not black, so this can never be. It pains me to say that unfortunately, our brothers still hang with noose from tree, strung up by the police on live TV. Now I'm going to play you guys in with a clip of Malcolm X that beautifully, beautifully starts this conversation for us. It's the same way. They put their club upside your head and then turn around and accuse you of attacking them. Every case of police brutality against a Negro follows the same pattern. They attack you. Bust you all upside your mouth and then take you to court and charge you with assault. What kind of democracy is that? What kind of uh, freedom is that? What kind of social or political system is it when a black man has no voice in court, has no nothing on his side other than what the white man chooses to give him? My brothers and sisters, we have to put a stop to this. And it will never be stopped. Until we stop it ourselves. It'll never be stopped until we stop it ourselves. And there's no better time than now. So I'm going to start by unpacking the video first. I saw the video on Tuesday. And since then I haven't felt right. It's been in the back of my mind. But I don't regret seeing it. And if you guys haven't seen seen it yet, go watch it. It's so important to see the pain, the depth of the pain in this video. I understand that not everybody is comfortable seeing murder. But you have to understand that this situation is real. Now I saw a black man being arrested for a petty crime. With his face down on the ground on his stomach. Hands handcuffed behind his back. Now already, off the, off, the, off the rip, this is a hard position to breathe in, let alone the high-stress situation you're in. And on top of that, you have a white police officer with his knee over your neck. And I could clearly see that there was no weight on this man's other foot. This man was dedicating 185 pounds of weight to this man's neck. And I heard George Floyd call out for breath for his life 16 times and I quote please I can't breathe and I quote four times they're gonna kill me and after watching this video I I was so deeply disturbed which is surprising because in today's society we're so numb to this type of shit we see it all the time on the news and TV shows but when I saw it Right there in front of me, a man begging for his life, begging for air, 
I saw his face convulging and him taking that last breath like a fish out of water. And then I saw for three minutes his body go limp and the cops not do anything about it. I'm deeply disturbed. And my first thought is how did nobody do anything about this? And thankfully the bystanders were trying their best, you know, screaming, check their pulse, check his pulse, check his pulse. But how could the police not do anything about this? You have three other officers there. And not one stopped to think, hey, this man's not fucking moving. Maybe you should take his, your knee off his neck. Not one. And that makes me wonder, how many times have they been through this situation? How many times? Is this protocol? Is this just what happens? When you're witnessing your partner kill somebody in cold blood, you just stand by and watch? And what kills me is that the officer who committed this murder, Derek Chauvin, he already had a rap sheet of 17 complaints. And that's just what was filed, just what we know about. This man was a menace. This man was a racist. This man is a white supremacist. This man literally had pictures on social media with a hat on that says, Make America White Again. How are you allowed to serve on the police force to protect and serve being openly racist? I feel like that's the first step. That's the first step. Address their rap sheet. If there's a pattern and we're seeing these instances happen 17 times and the man is wearing a hat that says make America white again. Is this man fit to protect and serve? Absolutely not. I just don't get it. I don't get how you could see a man dying on the floor and not say something. And on top of not saying something, having the audacity to tell the bystanders who are telling you to check his pulse. Don't do drugs, kids. Look at this. Don't do drugs. On top of witnessing this man, letting this man die, you're going to go ahead and spit on him. And say, don't do drugs. This is what happens when you do drugs. This is what happens when you do drugs? Really? When you do drugs, we have the right to fucking kill you? If you're a black man and you do drugs, we have the right to fucking choke you out on the street? I don't get it. How can you watch that video and not have a reaction? How? How has this been going on for so long? The problem of racism is systemic. It is built into our system. And I think one of the reasons why it's been going on for so long is because if it's not affecting us, we don't care. We are selfish in that way. As people, we are selfish in that way. All races are like that. If it's not affecting us, it's not our problem, right? Who cares? We're just selfish. I was being selfish the other day when I was going to sign the fucking petition for justice for Floyd. Can you believe that? I'm ashamed to say it. Literally, I go hit the link to sign the position on petition on change.org. And they asked for my email. And I paused for a second. I swear to God, I paused for a second. I'm like, oh, I got to give these motherfuckers my email. I'm not going to sign this. Can you believe that? I'm ashamed of myself. To, go, to win a giveaway for $500, dude, I'll fucking throw my email address at you. But to go and get justice for a man who was just murdered on the street, I second guess. What are they doing with my email? 
it's it's just straight up selfish, man. It's true. It's like if the problem's not affecting me, then then who cares, right? And I think that's the reason why this problem's been going on for as long as we can remember. For hundreds of years. Because right now, today, the, the total population of black people in America is about 13% of the population. That means that this problem of, of systemic racism towards black people in America is only affecting 13% of the population. So that means that 87% of the population doesn't give a fuck. Because it's not affecting them. Now, of course, I can't say that. I can't apply that principle to everybody. Every white person in this country doesn't care. But I believe the vast majority doesn't. So that's why when I'm seeing on social media all week, your silence kills. In a way, it does. And I understand where that's coming from. Because if only 13% of the people in this country are trying to solve this problem of systemic racism, of police brutality, killing black people, how are we ever going to solve it? And that's besides the fact that the majority of the resources and the positions of powers are held by white people. And you factor that into account. And it's like the amount of power that our black brothers and sisters have to make change is minuscule. So there will not be change. And there has not been change. Because we have not been contributing enough. We need to contribute more. We need to come together and understand the black experience in America. The fear, it's real. I was ignorant. And I'm sure I still am ignorant because I've never been in a black person's shoes before. But the fear has got to be real. That if you commit a petty crime, you stand a chance of dying. Even if you don't do something wrong, somebody can call the police on you and you stand a chance of dying. This shit is real. And I think that one of the best things that we can do, or that at least I can do, to gain a better understanding is to not just have that one token black friend. You know, and, and you say, oh, I have a black friend. I'm not racist. No, that's not the case. What we need to do is ask your black friend or your black friends. What's going on? What have you been through? What are you afraid of? What challenges have you faced to understand his or her experience? And then you are able to connect and understand where they are coming from. And maybe gain some insight as to what it means to be a black person in America. I think the majority of racism comes from a lack of understanding and exposure. If you don't, if you never met a community, if you've never been immersed in a community, if you never ate at the dinner table of another community and realized that these are people too, then you're probably going to be racist. So one of the things that we got to do is cross those borders, man. Cross those lines. Don't be afraid to immerse yourself in another community. But this is no excuse. The lack of understanding and exposure is no excuse for not being a good person. And for not having respect for another race. And I think right now is the perfect time to tell you guys a story of how my grandpa inspired me to be a better person. And how proud of him I am. So a few summers ago, I did a trip abroad with my boy Isaiah, who was half black. And I got to be honest with you, I was kind of worried because Europe is different, man. No matter how racist you think America is, Europe is worse. At least Eastern Europe. I got to be honest with you, it really is. And I think part of it is that lack of exposure. 
But anyways, we started off in Amsterdam. Then we went to London, then Barcelona. Then we went to Budapest. And then to round up the trip for the last two, three weeks, we spent in Montenegro. And I got to be honest with you, I was worried about bringing him to my family because I didn't know how they would react. I told him I was bringing a friend, but I was still worried because my, my grandpa could probably count the amount of black people he's met in his life on one hand. And I got to tell you, I had some anxiety built up about bringing him to my home. But when I saw my grandpa, my, my entire family's reaction to him, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Here's my grandpa just meeting Isaiah. And what does he do, man? He sits outside in, the, in front of the house where he always sits on this bench, his legs crossed. He calls Isaiah over. Isaiah sits next to him. He calls me over and he goes, translate for me. And he grabs Isaiah's hand and puts it on his knee and holds his hand and just looks at him and has a full-ass conversation with Isaiah. Asking him how his family is, if he has any brothers and sisters, if he has a girlfriend. And completely took him in open arms. And not only him, but my entire family, my aunt, my uncle, my grandpa, my little cousins. It was beautiful, man. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing that happened that summer. To see my grandpa grab him by the hand and look him in the eyes and truly ask him about him and his life. It was awesome, and it was one of the best things I could ever do was translate between the two of them. And he'd always bust his balls about his girlfriend. You know, that shit was hilarious. But that just goes to show you that you don't need that exposure. And there's no excuse to not be a good person to accept somebody else for being different than you. Because here's my family who has zero exposure to the black community. Taking in Isaiah like he's family. And what does that say about us here in America? What does that say about us? We've grown up surrounded by the black community. With our black friends in school and on our football teams. Yet we can still not acknowledge that a black person has the same rights that we do. And deserves the same amount of respect. And deserves not to die in cold blood on the streets. What does that say about us? And yes, this is a terrible, terrible tragedy that happened. This was terrible. But if we can learn from this and use it as fuel to stop the racism in this country, then George Floyd did not die in vain. And all the people who died before him didn't die in vain. And I hate to see the reaction that I'm seeing in the streets right now all over the news, the destruction of cities, the vandalism, just burning down stores and looting. I hate to see that. And it's not because I don't understand. It's not because I don't understand the anger and the frustration. I get it. I know exactly where this is coming from. Hundreds of years of oppression and anger. I understand. We're all frustrated. I get it. But we, what we got to understand is that we're playing directly into the hands of the people who are causing the systemic racism. By going in the streets and rioting and looting. What do you think they're thinking right now? We're just adding fuel to the fire. And how much change is no, no peace going to make? I understand the slogan, no justice, no peace. But how much justice is rioting going to make? And destroying your own community, how much justice is that going to make? I'm afraid it's just adding fuel to the racist fire that's burning up in this country right now. But I'm still not going to hate on it because I think it's well-deserved. I understand this reaction, and I get it. And what's sad is people are more worked up and angry about 
the rioting than they are about the murder of an innocent man. And that right there says everything that you need to know. They're covering the stories of the rioting so hard right now trying to pass the story of George Floyd's murder. They want it to blow over. And I'm honestly afraid in this new cycle it's going to blow over. Just like every school shooting, just like every terrorist attack, it's going to blow over. But how do we make real change? How do we do that? I believe it starts with us. It starts with our family. It starts at our dinner table. You know, we let our parents get by with being racist. We let that shit slide. Our grandparents, oh, it's just grandpa. He's being racist. Oh, it's just little Johnny. He's being racist. Ignore him. He doesn't know yet. He's too young. But we are teaching, obviously we're teaching our kids to be racist generation through generation. So something's up. I I think it has to start in our family. We got to teach our kids and even our parents and our brothers and our sisters that racism is not right. And that just because you aren't on the short end of the stick doesn't mean you shouldn't care about it. Just because it doesn't affect you, you shouldn't care about it. At the end of the day, we got to acknowledge that these problems are real. These problems are going on right now and they're impossible to ignore in this moment. And we can't let this continue on forever. There has to be a point where we say enough is enough. And I think we finally reached that point. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it wasn't made in vain. I hope you guys gained some perspective. And most of all, I hope we all take this tragedy and move in the right direction. Analyze your racist tendencies. Analyze your biases. And get rid of them. Thank you guys so much for listening. You know I love you all. Take it easy.